Well, good morning and welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church. What we're doing over these next few Sundays is we're just looking at three passages that remind us that Jesus is our King. Seems simple enough, doesn't it? But we actually uh, have a lot of competing interests for that throne, not just internally, we're going to talk about that this morning, but externally as well. That we have a lot of people, our employers and political leaders, uh, leaders in the church, uh, offering advice for us uh, in our regular lives. And sometimes we feel like we have a million and one kings, those external to ourselves and then internal to ourselves as well. And we want to go into the new year reminding each other who's the boss. The boss is our good King Jesus. And so last week we considered our identity, that that identity is actually defined by the King, but not only that, we're driven forward in that identity by this same King. He defines our identity by saying that we are sinners that have life solely because of his mercy. And then he drives us forward as we see our sinfulness alongside his extraordinary mercy. And this morning, I want to look a little bit more practically at our daily life, that our daily life, the things that we do in life, that too is formed by the King. And next week, uh, Pastor Bennett is going to lead us to see that our greatest hope is also formed by that King, King of our identity, King of our daily life, and King of our greatest hope. We'll be looking at daily life from the words of Paul in Galatians chapter 5 this morning. And little theologians, I would like, I would like for you to uh, think about the experience of looking for a lost pet. I was thinking about a dog because I have a dog. Maybe you have a cat. If your dog or cat goes missing, how ardently are you going to look for that dog or cat? Are you going to give up? You're going to look really hard, aren't you? You're going to think about that dog or that cat often. And you're not going to be very patient with anyone who says, let's not look for the dog or cat today. Let's take a break. No, we don't take breaks. We will find our pet. I want you to think about that as I talk about uh, what Paul means for us in our ordinary life. It's almost like our ordinary life is a life in which we are always focused on this mission. But it's not a mission of looking for a pet. But that's what I'd like for you to draw. Our passage is from, is from Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. Before we look at this passage, would you join me in prayer? Let's pray together. Our King Jesus, we thank you for giving us your attention We know that you deserve better servants than you have in us, but you're always with us, guiding us, directing us, leading us in your mission. And that mission is for your glory and for our good. Would you show us that in this passage this morning by your Holy Spirit? In your name, Jesus, amen. Again, Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. 
that these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of our Lord. Now, as you think about going into next week, what are you going to do with your life that's so important? Is next week going to be a week in which you are living in some special mission. And I'll give you a free pass about Monday. No one's at their best Monday. But what about Tuesday? When you wake up Tuesday, are you going to be entering into this great mission of whosoever, yours or the king's? You know, there's such a thing as a distinction, isn't there, between ordinary life and then, well extraordinary seasons of life. There's such a thing as life in which we're more accustomed to think of life with a mission and then life that seems a lot less, I don't know, mission-oriented, life that's ordinary, that's mundane. Let me give you a couple of examples and you'll admit that I'm right. We're just coming out of the Christmas season and the Christmas season for most of us has included a great deal of planning, shopping to get just the right gifts, assembling the tree, putting up the tree, putting up the decorations. It's a great deal of planning that's involved for Christmas. I think that sometimes when we think of life with a mission, when we have some kind of great plan, it almost makes the mundane a lot less mundane. When we think about uh, life with a mission, we think about those great seasons of life where we're doing something that's very significant. Uh, Building a house is a lot like that. When you're building a house, you, you sense that you are on mission in life. These big events. Have you ever known anyone, maybe this is you, who's battled cancer? Now, that doesn't feel ordinary at all. It doesn't feel mundane at all. It's starting a company, that feels significant. But the ordinary life, that seems, well, boring. Launching a product, hosting an event. This is life with a mission. These are uh, big events. And it seems to many of us that those kinds of events are, are the kinds of seasons of life when we are most engaged in mission. But most of life isn't like this, is it? Most of life is actually very, very ordinary. It's Tuesday morning. 
And we're following a season of Christmas where we've been planning. And uh, following that planning for some of us is going to be a season of a great deal of despair and depression. The after effects of a mission, well, it's the unhappy greeting of the mundane. And are you ready for this? You know, this passage tells us that we are always on a mission, that ordinary life, mundane life, is actually, as a Christian, a life in which we are engaged in the mission of the king. You know, when we think about uh, building a house, we think about battling a disease, we th- our, all of life is focused, we're disciplined, uh, there's high hope, there's positivity. But for the ordinary, not so much. Well, you have a king And this king is not just for those seasons where you really feel like you have a solid objective. This king is your king each and every day, even Tuesday morning after Christmas. As a Christian, our life amidst the ordinary is truly glorious. So the trick isn't to fill your life with adventure. How many of us as Christians really believe that? That the trick is to just fill our lives with adventure so that we're always stimulated and then we feel like we have this great mission. That's not the trick. The trick is rather this. It's to have a renewed sense of the ordinary, of the mundane, and to know that in Christ Jesus, there's no such thing as ordinary or mundane. Not really. We have a king not just for life and mission, but we have a king for life in the ordinary. That's what this passage shows us, that the ordinary Christian life is never less than belonging to the king's mission. Ordinary life, Tuesday morning, is never less than belonging to the king's mission. I want to begin by just uh, answering uh, a very uh, general question. Uh, Is this passage about ordinary life or about extraordinary life? And the passage is... Well, the passage is about ordinary life. I mean, notice the very simple verbs in this passage, walking and doing and living. I say in verse 16, Paul says, walk by the Spirit. Verse 25, keep in step with the Spirit. Verse 17, uh, keeping you from doing the things that you want to do. Notice that doing is what he's talking about. Even in verse 21, those who do such things. In fact, if you look at verse 25, Paul is talking about living by the Spirit. He's talking about ordinary, mundane, Tuesday morning Christian life. And he says that this ordinary life is actually the kind of life that has a couple of competitors. Let's think about this. Your ordinary life has a couple of competitors, according to Paul. If you admitted it, admitted earlier in this sermon that you also recognize that distinction from a life that's really uh, on task, has an objective, and a life that feels rather boring, Paul's saying that, you know, that boring feeling of life actually has a couple of temptations. And the two of them are here. One is legalism, and one is slavery to our flesh. Let me tell you what I mean by the first, because it seems to be more in Galatians 5 than in Galatians 6. But ordinary Christian life is different from slavery to legalism. Your ordinary mundane life, it's different from slavery to legalism. 
In Galatians 5 verse 10, we learn there that at least one troublemaker in the church. Now, uh, Galatians is written to a group of churches, so it's hard to tell uh, who the one troublemaker might be. But in Galatians 5 verse 10, there seems to be a troublemaker in the church, and it may be a troublemaker or troublemakers in every church. And the troublemaker is telling them that the Christian life is all about following rules. The circumcision, days and seasons on the calendar, those are addressed in Galatians. But in Colossians, Paul addresses uh, the kind of legalism associated with those things you can and cannot eat and drink. But slavery to legalism is a way of ordinary life. Do you see that? That if you just live your life uh, as a legalist, that actually works pretty well. Ordinary life is you get up in the morning and during that day you just check off the checkboxes. All of life is a punch list. And that can feel really comfortable. And that can be our ordinary life. And Paul says that legalism is submitting actually to a yoke of slavery when in fact Christians are called to freedom. One of the obstacles to living in the ordinary Christian life is to live an ordinary life as a slave to legalism. But another and the more focal point of this passage is leading an ordinary life that really is slavery to our flesh. Notice verse 16. Walk by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 17, that phrase, desires of the flesh, shows up again. In verse 24, he adds another word to the word desire. He adds the word uh, passions, the flesh with its passions and its desires. Now, Paul is being specific here. There is this ordinary automatic ease with which we can practice life that is slavery to the flesh. When we talk about the ordinary Christian life, we're not talking about ordinary slavishness to legalism, nor ordinary slavishness to the flesh. And notice how Paul talks about slavery to the flesh. He says that it's slavery to a desire, but it's also slavery to an action. Look at verse 19, the works of the flesh. There are desires and passions associated with the flesh. There are also works associated with the flesh. And Paul says that uh, these are very evident. Verse 19, these are very plain. And here's how he describes them. He's talking about not only those things that that Christians can sometimes do, but those things that Christians can sometimes desire. He is addressing Christian people. Ordinary life of legalism is a matter of our hearts and our actions, and so too is ordinary life of slavishness to flesh. And he lists 15 works of the flesh, but the the list isn't meant to be just a checklist of what not to do, right? That would be legalism. It's hard to tell why he has 15 here together, but these 15, they, they seem to fit, but they're not supposed to be exhaustive. Verse 21 says, and things like these. It's not just a stock list of 15, but they do seem to fit together. I follow one commentator who says that the first three of these, they seem to be within the realm of sex, uh, sexual desires and sexual works. That's the first three. 
He says the next two, idolatry and sorcery, these seem to be about uh, desiring, uh, the fo- desiring or following false gods. And then he kind of lumps all of the next ten together. Uh, all of these seem to be about desires and works that uh, frustrate or hamper uh, healthy human relationships. And Paul's saying this, Ordinary life can be a slavery to our flesh when our sexual life, our life of right worship, and our life with others is driven by whatever feels good to ourselves. This, Paul says, is slavery to our flesh. It's important to recognize that both of these kinds of slavery can feel very ordinary and, because of that, feel very comfortable to us. The slavery to legalism can feel comfortable in that I know what to do. I just check the checkboxes. And slavery to our flesh can feel very comfortable because it just feels so, well, warm and natural. But this passage is not, not about those kinds of ordinary lives, though all of us can, can more than imagine them. This passage is about ordinary Christian life. The ordinary Christian life is not slavery to rules, and it's not slavery to our flesh. It's something else. And we move on to my second point, and that's this, that the ordinary Christian life is about belonging to the king's mission. Paul says that the Spirit opposes our ordinary legalism in verse 18. You see the reference to law. And that the Spirit opposes our uh, ordinary desires of the flesh. He says that as well. The battle for the ordinary Christian life seems to be a battle that needs to be fought. And it's fought against that ordinary life of legalism and that ordinary life of simply following your desires and passions. But notice who does the fighting. Paul says that this fight is one that is fought by the Spirit. Now that should bring comfort to us, but I think that oftentimes it doesn't bring comfort. It brings an excuse of sorts that we might continue in our legalism, continue in our passions. And we hear that this battle being a battle that's fought by the Holy Spirit, we feel like it's, well, that battle's being fought in someone else. I don't feel it in my own life. That happens in other people's lives. For me, I just have legalism and I have my passions. That's the best I have until Jesus returns. That's not what Paul says here. He says the Spirit is actually engaged in this fight. Let's back up just a little bit. Let me ask this very general question. Don't answer too quickly. Who is your salvation founded upon? Who is your salvation founded upon? Is it God or is it you? Of course, it's God. But listen, it is indeed God, but we're very quick to live as if our salvation is founded upon ourselves. It was the plan of God to save his children by doing all that was necessary for their salvation. This is God's plan. It comes out of his eternal counsel. He made a covenant of grace. He kept that covenant of grace. He sent his son to follow the covenant of works that Adam broke. And the son followed the covenant of works, did what Adam should have done, and Jesus did this perfectly. And to pay the sentence of Adam at the cross, Jesus willingly died for us. 
And this perfect righteousness uh, of Jesus Christ actually satisfied God. And Jesus ascended into heaven and he rules at the right hand of God. There's more to it. The Holy Spirit actually applies this work of redemption. The Holy Spirit unites us to Jesus Christ. It's what it means to be in Christ. It's what it means to be a Christian. Now, who is your salvation founded upon? It's founded upon this work of God in Jesus Christ, applied and sustained by the Holy Spirit. But oftentimes, we live as if our salvation is founded upon our faith and not upon God. Is it your faith in which your salvation rests, or is it the perfect plan and work of God? Let me, let me offer an illustration. What's the strength of a skyscraper? Is it the metal? Is it the work of the architect? Is it the, the, the strength of the steel, the strength of the design, or is it the strength of the bedrock upon which the skyscraper stands? It's an interesting question. It's one that we ask every day. It's part of our ordinary life. We remind ourselves that my strength is not me. My strength is the bedrock of the plan of God, worked through Jesus Christ and applied daily, over and over again throughout the Christian life by the Holy Spirit. And this really matters, doesn't it? We need to go back to this. We need to preach this to ourselves over and over again. Otherwise, our ordinary life is going to be clouded by legalism and chasing after our passions. When Jesus was with his disciples at the Lord's table, he said, I will send to you from the Father the spirit of truth. Jesus said that. I will send to you the spirit of truth. And he also said to his disciples, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you. Jesus says that the Father will send the Holy Spirit to the disciples, all followers of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Part of the kingship of Jesus is placing us on a new mission that's led by his will through the Holy Spirit. He has given us the Holy Spirit to uh, battle for, to contend for our ordinary life. And that's why Paul says that the ordinary Christian life is walking with the Holy Spirit. Ordinary life, walking with the Spirit, verse 16. Ordinary life, following the Spirit's leading, verse 18. Ordinary life, living by the Spirit, in verse 25. Keeping in step with, literally, walking on the line that the Holy Spirit draws before us. Now, this does not feel accurate, does it? It doesn't feel accurate. It feels theoretical, even hypothetical. Maybe it could happen, but it doesn't feel very accurate to us. No kidding. No kidding. But it's still biblical truth. The triune God is the bedrock of not just life and mission, the, the, the triune God is the bedrock of our ordinary, mundane, Tuesday morning life. Jesus, he has the authority to give us the Holy Spirit. He says that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher, teaching us all things. Jesus died for this, and Jesus promises this. The Bible says repeatedly that God himself sanctifies us in our Christian walk. Our Lord and Savior prays to God 
that God would sanctify us? Do you think, do you think that God the Father listened to God the Son? In fact, the Bible tells us that we are to live lives of thanks for the sanctification that we have by the Holy Spirit. So whether it feels like it or not, the ordinary Christian life begins with God, and the ordinary Christian life is belonging to the king's mission. You see what's, you see what's happened here? We live life as if sometimes you're fighting cancer and you're really focused and you feel on mission and sometimes it's ordinary. And what Paul is doing is he's taking that ordinary and he is absolutely elevating it so that we would see the grace and the glory and the majesty in what we have in the triune God. But here's where we want to finish. This pursuit of our ordinary life, Paul says, will require effort. And it does require effort. Verse 19, Paul describes for us the works of the flesh. And in verse 22, he describes for us the fruit of the Spirit. Works of the flesh in verse 19, and then fruit of the Spirit. The word fruit has been resisted up until verse 22. The Spirit is different than a mere work. The Spirit is a fruit. I want us to notice five real quick things about this fruit of the Spirit. First of all, the fruit is implanted. It is spiritual, capital S. The fruit is a gift that is earned for us by Jesus Christ, delivered to us by God in the name of Jesus Christ. The fruit is, well, alien, foreign, implanted in us as Christians. The fruit's implanted. And the fruit is non-negotiable. It is the Christian DNA. Paul says there's no such thing as someone who is a Christian, but who does not have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. A Christian does not get to be a tree of a different fruit. This is the kind of tree that we are as Christians. The fruit's implanted. The fruit's non-negotiable. And the fruit is unified. Notice that Paul doesn't say that there are several different fruits. There's one fruit. You don't get to choose one of the nine that he lists. You don't get to rank your top three. Your ranking doesn't matter. The fruit is unified together. There's no such thing as a rogue fruit. They belong together. So the fruit is implanted. The fruit is non-negotiable. The fruit is unified. The fruit is in constant development. While the works of, of the flesh are actually stated, almost as if they're final, these are the works of the flesh, the fruit is just listed and we're to assume that the fruit can, uh, can take myriads of forms. These are principles. There's hope for us that these fruits, that they would grow and that they would uh, show themselves in different ways in our lives. And that brings us to the fifth. The fruit is unbounded, even by God himself. There is no law that limits the fruit. Well, good morning to you, Christian. You have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. God's work is not a work that has this punctiliar completion date that he works in order to convert you and then God moves on to the next client. God is with you now by his spirit. That fruit is implanted. That fruit is growing in you. This is who you are as a Christian. 
And listen to what God says about you as a Christian. These first three fruit, they, they, they seem to be love, joy, peace, the most basic spiritual qualities. But God, he adds to that patience, kindness, and goodness. These are relationships it would seem in the life of the church. And then finally, he adds uh, faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. More about relationships, faithfulness to God, a gentleness towards others, self-control with regards to that relationship that you have with you with yourself. What I want you to hear from this is that you're well provisioned for the ordinary life. As a Christian person, you're well provisioned, whether you feel it or not. But fruit, as we know, it takes cultivating. And proof of this is in the very last verse that we've looked at, verse 26. Paul uh, actually says that uh, conceitedness and disunity and envy are very close at hand, even in the Christian life. And then look at Galatians 6 verse 1. It's about brothers and sisters who uh, need restoration in the life of the church and how how they're to be restored with love. And it's also about us and how we are tempted. That's Galatians 6 1. You see, cultivating, though, is different than creating. The ordinary Christian life is a life of mission by grace because we are cultivating that which God has done for us. I want us to, as we go into the new year, remind uh, one another and remind ourselves that our life is about cultivating and not creating. Christian, you have more than an advantage to deal with the ordinary life. God actually has given us his means of grace in Scripture, and they, on the surface, sound really boring to us. They sound like the kinds of things you've tried before they don't work. Holy Scripture, enjoying the fellowship of the church body, a life of prayer, uh, corporate worship and private worship. These things, they, they feel like you've done them before. They don't seem to be working. But you need to understand that these things are ordinary because you're made for ordinary life. God is with you in the mundane, and he's with you in the mundane through Scripture, through life with your family in the church, through prayer and through worship. Because your ordinary life is strong not because you create something new. It's because you cultivate who you already are by God's great grace. This is what I'd like for you to think about as you go from an intense season of planning for the holidays and then you look at January and February and all you can see are days and weeks of the doldrums. I want you to know that you were made for the ordinary and that in the ordinary, Jesus' mission is at work. And that mission is through the Holy Spirit And that Holy Spirit dwells in you. That Holy Spirit seeks the sanctification that is a gift to you by God. And while that feels ordinary, don't fool yourself into thinking that your job is to create. Your job is to cultivate that which God has done. And you're tempted to an ordinary life of legalism. And you're tempted to an ordinary life of just chasing after your passions, whatever feels good. But that's not your life as a Christian. Your life as a Christian is never less than belonging to the king's mission. Would you remind each other of that going into the new year? Would you remind me of that going into the new year?
Please join me in prayer. Our Father, your Spirit is with us. Your Word tells us that. We ask, Father, that you would continue to remind us through your Word, through life in the church, through prayer, and through worship that you are with us, sanctifying us and growing us. To the glory of Jesus, our King. Amen.